Hello and welcome to The Pulse. In this week's show, we'll be looking at both the hidden dangers of Hong Kong's beaches and why they're so unknown. We'll also be looking at the SAR's reportedly declining English standards. First, though, it's 25 years since tanks and guns claimed the lives of hundreds during the June 4th Tiananmen Square crackdown. Since then, much has changed in China, but some people still look back on that period as a defining moment. It captures very accurately for me uh, the sense of what it was like. Mike Chinoy was a CNN correspondent based in Beijing during 1989 and covered the Tiananmen Square protests as they developed. In his latest documentary, he reviews just how the small group of foreign journalists present reported the events. As, as some of the people discussed in the film, the shorthand that you use when you can only have a two-minute spot or a 700-word wire story is pro-democracy movement. And most of these students didn't, I suspect, have the slightest idea what democracy meant or what they, in fact, wanted for China. Zhao Ziyang, after he became party secretary in 1987, had talked about the need for political reforms. So there was a lot of debate and discussion about reforms, what kind of reforms. Um, but these are you know, young college kids. They wanted reform. They were upset at injustices in the society, and they wanted them fixed. They were idealistic. Um, they, they, they didn't have a, and you don't really expect them at that age that stage to have a concrete program. The Tiananmen Square protests were triggered by a number of social and political factors, including inflation, official profiteering and corruption, and the death of Hu Yaobang. Another factor was that China had become a little more open to Western ideas, as freedom of publication had increased in the 1980s. More Western texts had been translated and cultural magazines published. For some young minds, it was a transformative time. The Japanese invasion and then with the Civil War and then when the Communists took over to consolidate power, uh, each time there was a, a pushing down on people's uh, attempts to have democracy. And so I think what we saw in, the, in 1989 was the latest attempt for people to speak up for democracy. Since coming to Hong Kong in 1968, John has been actively supporting democratic movements and human rights lawyers, both here and on the mainland. I think at that time there was a lot of fear that uh, something similar would happen in Hong Kong. Uh, Why did you choose to stay in... Uh... Well, um, it's a long, complicated story, I guess, but uh, you know, I, I, I'm not a person who uh, becomes afraid very easily. It's a kind of a, a cultural arrogance, and to say that you know that uh, uh, Chinese people or African people uh, or uh, people in uh, Burma don't understand democracy, what democracy really is. I think it's, it's very easy to understand. Uh, democracy is a way of the people expressing their views. Uh, it's a means of having a free media. It's a way of people being able to go to demonstrations. It's a means of being able to vote. I have the impression that they, they ha their demands 
were universal demands, that their expectations were universal expectations. The students were, I think, expecting or demanding uh, greater accountability from their leaders, and they were also expecting and demanding an end to the corruption. Dr. Rice came to Hong Kong in 1992, after the Tiananmen Square crackdown. My colleagues and I would often take part in um, protests. In, in particular, there were a few protests on behalf of Wang Dan, who was a Tiananmen dissident. And he was, um, I think he was in detention at that time. They were held in the Lingnan area. Lingnan at that time was in, in Stubbs Road in Wan Chai. And these protests were in front of the Xinhua News Agency. They had gotten you in any trouble? <laughs> As I said, Jaren, it might have been wiser for me to stay away from, from that. But again, my earlier answer still applies. I mean, I think that... I think at a certain point you have to uh, act according to your conscience and you have to, you know, live according to your conscience. And so, you know, I'm glad that I did what I did. One of the things to sort of look at at the last 25 years is the degree to which China has managed quite successfully so far to pursue that path of economic reform without political reform. And now, going forward, are they going to be able to continue to do that? Or will the internal tensions in the society produced by all this dramatic change require some kind of political reform simply to manage the tensions? I don't believe you can keep people down all the time. Whenever you try to push people down, you're going to create more pressure and it's going to come up in different places in unexpected ways. Hong Kong, Asia's world city. That's according to Brand HK, a government program dedicated to boosting our image. At the time that this slogan was coined, a spokesperson said it reflected Hong Kong's competitive position as a natural, vital and multicultural gateway, not only to and from China, but also to the rest of Asia and beyond. But declining English standards present a challenge to this fine concept. Shame! On the day of the 21st of November, as has been discussed, I did check with the project director. You are being a CEO. You are very passive to get the information from your staff. What are you doing every day? What is your daily work? You are dreaming under your office, or you are not attending at your office? Answer me. I am carrying out all of my duties as CEO in a professional manner. There are procedures in place so at MTR for the management... This electrical committee was focusing on finding out if there had been a cover-up over delays to the express wearer project. However, after lawmaker Chung Shigen questioned MTR Chief Executive Jay Warder, many netizens focused on something else entirely, his standard of English. He said that he is a prof professional. So that the last one... The, the last uh, response to me, I said that uh, I don't think so long. <laughs> that, yes, it's a, a Hong Kong English, uh, but, but uh, it's, uh, I think it's uh, under a, a situation in conversation, it's not, nothing wrong. O of course, some, uh, some wording or some preposition are used wrong. Uh, for example, the yin and I use the on is a, a wrong uh, usage of the preposition, are you correct? But I think it's not a serious problem in conversation. Suddenly he was aware that he was addressing a so-called Guaylo. And perhaps at that moment, he remembered what 
Bruce Lee appears in most of those patriotic kung fu films. So I'm rather sympathetic with him. Well, I mean, whether he's a public figure or not, well, I'm not sure. In China, public figures means uh, public figures mean figures of power. When you have power, you define your own way of expression. Some people would say "shame on you" is uh, not an uncommon English uh, expression. But then, seriously. Um, it's quite strong an expression, and you don't normally use it on people, right? Let alone uh, such a sort of uh, uh, the televised live uh, political public uh, uh, meeting. The reform package must be supported by the public. Recently, there were more criticisms of poor English skills leveled at another high-ranking DAB member, Starry Lee after a personal opinion broadcast on RTHK radio about political reform. Some point out that it's unfair to pillory individuals, no matter how high-ranking, for lack of competence in what is, after all, not their first language. Others say that what's more worrying is what this may indicate about Hong Kong's overall English language competence. According to a recent study by a leading Swiss business school, Hong Kong's international competitiveness is dropping. Some fear that Hong Kong's declining English standard is one of the factors hurting its competitiveness. The English language skills of Hong Kong people are said to have slumped to the level of Japan, South Korea and Indonesia. It began to drop in the Tung Chiwa era, when journalists began to note an increasing unwillingness of government officials and their supporters to speak in English. Michael Dean was once the chairman of the Standing Committee on Language Education and Research, or SCOLA. But you look at today, the usage, the necessity of using English has deteriorated drastically. You look at Xco, you look at Lashco, Back here, I chair two uh, railway subcommittee inquiry meetings digging into the uh, express rail saga, right? And I was forced to use English because NPR CEO is a native English-speaking person. So I just went straight in and uh, asked him questions in English. Basically, it wasn't really covered in the uh, mainstream media. If people can speak English, then we can sort of have a, a soft you know, PR or soft diplomacy to promote Hong Kong overseas. But if everybody speaks Chinese, then you know, CNN or, or, or CNBC, whatever, they, they will not pick up you know, the, the clips uh, if they, they are in Chinese. But if they're in English, Definitely, some of Hong Kong's news will be broadcast by those foreign uh, agencies and, and, and stations. And that would help Hong Kong promote our image and competitiveness. Welcome back. Summer is definitely upon us. Temperatures soar from time to time. And you may feel like heading to the beach for a quick, cool dip. But be careful. Some beaches, like Sheko, are much more dangerous than official figures suggest. The reason? People who don't get injured or drown during working hours or the lifeguard season 
are likely not to have their problems recorded. The beauty of Chekou has long attracted visitors either to swim on the beach or to take wedding photos on the rocks or in the village. But not everyone is aware of the dangers. Sand 通常,如果你在河邊的話,就會衝你出去,因為不單止在河的力量,加上河的力量,所以大家去海灘玩,要小心一點,不要太少那個地方,那個危險性。People drown at Chekou, but you'll have a hard job finding out how many. According to the records of the Leisure and Cultural Services Department, LCSD, there were two drowning cases at Checo Beach in 2009 and one in 2012. Out of all the beaches on the southern side of the island, the government says there was only one other drowning case at Deepwater Bay Beach in 2011. But there's a snag. If you want to be counted, you have to drown in working hours. LCSD tells The Pulse that it keeps records of all drowning and accident cases within the gazetted boundary of public bathing beaches and within lifeguard service hours. That means that if you drown between November and March, you also won't be counted. Many drownings at Sheko in recent years haven't been recorded by LCSD. In October 2012, two teenagers drowned while swimming in the early morning after an overnight celebration of the Mid-Autumn Festival. Around two weeks later, a man died after falling into the sea after drinking. In November, a mainland visitor drowned at the beach after a barbecue. But the LCSD only recorded one incident. On the 2nd of July, a man died after swimming. 我又長大的,我又是石油人的。意外方面,其實在石油,每年都會有大約兩單都會是致命的。It usually happens towards the summertime because there's so many people here, so there are cases of people drowning. But um, if you stay here long enough, you often hear um, the sirens of either uh, the diving team that come to look for the people who drown, or you hear helicopters uh, looking up at the headland, and that's what you hear for people who throw up there. Mm, so how, how often have you heard of this? <laughs> Two to three times a year. The Pulse asked the Hong Kong police force for its figures. They replied that as far as they knew, there were three drowning cases in Sheko last year and the drowning of the Indonesian maid this year. The LCSD said there was no drowning case in 2013 and 2014, 
but it did add that in 2013 there were 94 rescues in which the lifeguard jumped into the sea to save someone. It had also clocked 35 give-a-hand cases in which the lifeguard helped people in the shallows. Last year, Southern District Councillor Paul Zimmerman raised the issue of the safety of Sheko Beach at a district council meeting. Knowing that cases of drowning there, as reported by LCSD, don't give the full picture, he asked for figures outside the duty hours of lifeguards to be published. Nearly a year later, he recently had to raise the same issue once again. If there are a lot of incidents early in the morning, because people do early morning swimming, then you should adjust your, your um, lifeguard services to accommodate that requirement. If there are a lot of incidents during winter time, when your lifeguards are not on duty, then maybe you should be on duty. But if you don't know the information, then you don't know whether you should be on duty. So I think it must be correct that you are able to provide us that information, and today you are not. So I think that that is an adjustment that LCSD can make. And I don't think it's difficult because it's just a matter of getting the information and the records from the police and from the fire services so that you can monitor what happens at your beach and the surroundings. Although LCSD hasn't yet provided more accurate data for SHECO, at a meeting of the Working Group of District Facilities Management Committee of Southern District Council on the 5th of May, it did say that it does plan to install an electronic notice board at Sheko Beach to provide more information for visitors. Hopefully they broadcast information like, you know, you know, swim at your own risk, no lifeguards are here. Well, ultimately it's people's own responsibility. Um, you know, it's a popular beach for people to go swimming. Uh, I think we should expect people to swim outside lifeguard saving hours, but we have to provide good information, you know, and that must be for all the time. You cannot say, well, because my lifeguards are not working, I'm not going to provide you information. You know, it, the beach is there and people's lifestyles are changing. People will go swimming even when it's cooler. Uh, people will go swimming early in the morning. So I think the LCSD must take responsibility for 24 hours, 365 days a week, uh, a year. Finally. 
People's Power seems to have won a victory this week, at least in Macau, where the chief executive, Fernando Choi, bowed to public pressure on Thursday and scrapped a contentious bill that would have granted lavish retirement packages to top officials and, rather conveniently, gave the chief executive immunity from criminal charges during his term of office. We'll leave you with a look at that.